this summer we may be kind of bouncing around a little bit uh, more than uh, we will usually be uh, as we've kind of taken a little bit of a break from Colossians or intermittently uh, as, I, as I work on other things throughout the week to, to get us up and running as we're about 14 weeks before, uh, before we storm the beach, uh, so to speak. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for, for what is ahead, and I'm looking forward to uh, just talking more in the membership class uh, after this. But uh, this morning we'll be talking through uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Um, and so as you're, as you're turning there, uh, we uh, in America live in, uh, in unprecedented wealth. Uh, th- there are more material goods uh, in existence now, and I would probably say in our in our nation than any society has ever before experienced of, of this much material wealth. Uh, and as Americans, not only do we have uh, a lot of material goods, but, but we are rich simply because of where we live. We live in a, in a land that has laws, which has a tremendous value. The fact that, you know, someone can't just come in and take your, uh, your property, uh, and just say, hey, just because I say so, uh, that has a value, uh, to it. Uh, we live in a country that also has an educational system that can teach us to read and write uh, and to do arithmetic, the three R's. Uh, but uh, there, are, there are many, many nations in our uh, world today that don't even have those luxuries. And, and those, are, those are truly valuable uh, organizations and entities in a society. Uh, but, but with all of these material goods, what, what, do, we ten, what do we have a tend to, to drive towards as, a, as an entire society? We're always looking for that next uh, purchase, that next object uh, that will satisfy us. Uh, we, we have uh, unlimited desires in our hearts. Uh, and the difficulty is uh, we have limited amounts of money, right? So we're constantly wanting more and more, but we can't get uh, all the things that we want. Uh, which creates us just this ever kind of insatiable desire uh, to purchase and to get more and more. Uh, and sometimes uh, we can we can daydream about uh, the pursuit of clothes or, or sporting goods, uh, you know, cars, shoes. Yeah, for Bruce, it's it's the Tennessee uh, jacket for me, uh, the USC, yeah, <laughs> uh, the USC gear. Uh, and and the reality is that. That people at all times and in all places have coveted additional wealth and material prosperity. There's nobody in history that's ever come and said, like, hey, okay, I don't want anything else ever. Maybe, maybe some monastic, uh, individual, uh, in, in the mid, middle ages, but, uh, even then they, they wanted more food. We always have a tendency to, to want more food because we're always hungry. There's, there, there are things in this life that we will always have a desire for. And, uh, the richest king in, in the world has ever known was this guy named Solomon. Uh, you might have heard of him. Uh, he, he's written some things in Scripture and, and spoken of in Scripture. Uh, and the book of Ecclesiastes is, is an amazing book of seeing all of the things that he pursued and trying to satisfy his his desires. Uh, and, and it writes out, hey, he pursued, he pursued riches, he pursued uh, pleasure, he pursued... Uh, you know, gardens and all of these different things, all of these different pursuits that he uh, thought would satisfy him. And yet the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about he, he had all of those things because he was the richest man to ever live. He had all of those things and he still came away and felt empty, uh, that something was, was missing. Solomon understood that money and possessions have a hold upon our hearts, but ultimately they will never be able to sing or bring satisfaction to our souls. And 
And this morning, we'll hear from another king, King Jesus, uh, who's teaching his disciples. This uh, Sermon on the Mount is uh, about what it looks like to be a citizen of God's kingdom, uh, of which Christ is the king. And he's teaching his disciples about what uh, what type of character uh, uh, enters the kingdom of of heaven. And not that uh, this type of character earns their way into heaven, but if you are one of those citizens, you will live like this. Uh, and in this passage on, in the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're going to look at this morning of uh, Jesus is, is trying to communicate this same truth that Solomon came to realize. Of. Jesus is teaching his disciples that uh, that uh, things of this life will never satisfy as much as God can satisfy. And only he uh, and he alone uh, is able to secure our treasure. Let's let's read Matthew uh, chapter six, uh, verses 19 through through 24. If you have your Bibles, you can read along. Uh, if you don't have your Bibles, it should be up on the, the screen behind me. But Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus is is teaching his disciples the attitude that they should develop towards uh, wealth and treasure on earth. Uh, and we're instructed of, of the danger of solely pursuing wealth uh, of the world rather than the treasure of heaven given to us by our Heavenly Father. So, uh, but why should we do this? It's an excellent question, right? Of just kind of saying, okay, if, if you're saying I, I should forsake what I can I can see and touch and feel, uh, for something that is invisible and, and I can't see yet, and it's something that's going to exist in the future, wh- why should I give up the what's here and now for what exists in the future and I can't see? Well, th- this morning we're going to see that, that Jesus gives five reasons we should prioritize heavenly treasure over earthly treasure. Uh, and you can follow along uh, on your, your notes there. Reason number one, we'll see that uh, your earthly treasure is perishable. Uh, we see this in verse 19. Where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus begins by, by giving a prohibition to his disciples, saying, do not do this. Uh, it's a command for us to, to follow and to obey. Uh, and it's a simple command. He explains uh, the wisdom and love that are inherent in the command of, hey, that, why pursue things that, are, that are, can be stolen, that can be destroyed, uh, or they can be... Uh, taken from you so easily. And elsewhere in Scripture, we see that uh, the entire earth itself is going to, to be burned up. Second uh, Peter 3.10 uh, So, if the entire earth is going to, to burn away and pass away, how much more our little possessions of the earth, uh, our little uh, possessions in this life. Uh, but Jesus' commands uh, here brings up an additional qu- question. What does he mean by by treasure. If he's saying don't store up treasure uh, on earth, what, what does he mean by that? Well, uh, in the immediate context, he seems to be speaking directly about money and possessions. But I would also say, 
we can treasure anything that we would get here on the earth. And if you look at the, the context of what he says in chapter 6, verse 2, uh, he, he, and speaking to, hey, when you, uh, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. So truly I say to you, they have received their reward. So there's an earthly reward right there, but it's not something that, that's tangible and they could put their hands on, but it was the praise of men. Uh, they wanted to be noticed by men, and that was their earthly reward. So Jesus, I think, is also pointing to that and saying, hey, don't pursue that, because we see that uh, in the context as he's speaking about alms. We see it again in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for the love, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. Again, an earthly reward uh, of man's praise. And we see the same thing in verse 16. So I, th- I think it's... Uh, when Jesus speaks of treasure, he's not only talking about physical things, but also things that we would only get on earth, like the praise of men. In heaven, no one else is going to praise you. Uh, There's somebody far greater in heaven. Uh, You're not going to be a concern. You're not going to even want to exalt yourself because Christ is there and you are, uh, you can't even compare yourself to him. Even as we sang uh, this morning, yeah. He's incomparable, which means, yeah, you, you can't match up. So the only time that you can try and get praise for yourself is here in this life. And Jesus is saying, hey, don't do that. For, forsake that. Don't store it for yourself. Treasure on earth. Uh, and uh, it was amazing just how how many illustrations Jesus uses when he himself teaches. And imagine being outside, uh, you know, probably sitting on the grass as Jesus is speaking right now. Uh, and then he begins to point to... Uh, you know, maybe a, a moth or, or a butterfly that, that's out there, and he just you know kind of uses that even as an illustration. He he, he points to the, the tiniest and meekest of creatures, the moth, right? I mean, how how much does it take to kill a, a moth? You know, it's like one of those. You know, just a, a swipe of my hand, uh, and then I have the little gunk in between my fingers, and you're like, okay, you got to wipe that off. But he points to the, the smallest of creatures, this tiny little creature. Uh, that has a large reputation as consumers. Now, they're known to eat clothing, paper, uh, produce on farms, and they're even capable of devastating entire forests. Uh, so this little tiny creature is able to destroy things here on the earth. So Jesus is saying, why would you want to store up treasure on heaven that can be eaten and destroyed by this tiny little moth? Uh, and then the term rust uh, could be better translated eaters or consumers, and it's used uh, in the Old Testament to describe locusts uh, in the land. So again, there might have been locusts there and moth there. He said, look at these little tiny creatures that can destroy everything that you own. Uh, why would you want to store up treasure here uh, on earth? And then Jesus also uses the illustration of a thief breaking in and stealing earthly possessions and money. And the word for, for break in literally has the idea of digging through uh, because back in those days, what was your house made out of? Dirt. <laughs> uh, and so literally they would, they would dig through a wall or dig through the roof as we saw uh, on Easter, right? Those uh, men wanted to get their friend to Jesus, so they literally dug a hole in the roof <laughs> to get him to Jesus. And thieves would uh, have been known to do that. Hey, they, would, they would literally dig through the wall and just take your, your possessions. So uh, the point here is Jesus is saying, why would you... Why would you focus so hard and so long what can be taken from you in an instant? And if earthly uh, possessions can be destroyed, uh, how valuable can they truly be? Right? If they can be taken from you that easily, it would, be, it, it would seem pretty foolish to spend uh, money on a losing enterprise. Right? So say if I had a car uh, that, that I wanted to sell, but it also needed repairs. What would I have to calculate and figure out? 
How, how much should I invest in the repairs in order to, to get out uh, what I'm putting in? Uh, and, and so I'm going to calculate that cost before I, before I do any repairs and before I sell the vehicle. Uh, and, and we need to do the same because I don't want to go in on a losing enterprise right, with my car. And we think of it in, in that terms with, with, again, our possessions. But how often do we think of that in our entire life? Uh, of Is this going to be a losing outcome? If I invest all of my time, energy, and resources on these pursuits, is it going to be worthwhile? Or am I going to lose out on everything that I've invested uh, we don't want to uh, to invest in losing uh, investments. We want to uh, entrust our treasure to the Lord of the heaven and the earth. Uh, and so, so we have to ask ourselves, what what am I pursuing in this life? Uh, one of my favorite uh, proverbs is Proverbs twelve eleven, and it's it's very humbling to my own soul. It says, "He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues worthless things lacks sense." Uh, of, of just that understanding of yeah, pursuing what is empty, what's not going to have any kind of a reward for you, uh, you, you lack sense of, hey, the, the guy who goes out and tills his field, he's going to eat. Uh, but the person who doesn't pursue anything, he's, he's, he lacks sense. He's going to be hungry. So in that sense, are, are you spending all of your time, energy, and money chasing the things that will eventually be worthless in this life? Or are you chasing after and pursuing heavenly things? Now, are you putting your, uh, is your treasure that which can be eaten by moths or stolen by thieves? Or is it in heaven? Uh, as individuals, we must guard our hearts against the allure of earthly pleasures. And uh, as parents, and I'm just beginning to understand this, and it's kind of a, a daunting task to begin to think through, of how, do I, how do I shepherd uh, my child's heart of understanding and, and rightly valuing things on this earth versus uh, heavenly treasures? Uh, what, what's that balance there? So, and how do I, what does it look like to accomplish that, to, to shepherd uh, others in that? Well, first and foremost, you have to model it in your own life because others are going to do what you will do. Secondly, uh, talk with your kids about what is most valuable. Uh, and again, if, if that is matching up with what you're actually doing and then talking with them of, hey, I don't do that because this is where my treasure lies. I, I know that this can be taken away and that can't be taken away. Uh, and then thirdly, uh, encourage them to develop this mindset, to glorify God rather than to satisfy their own desires. Uh, because if, if, our, if our desire is to bring glory to God uh, rather than to satisfy ourselves, that we are laying up treasures in heaven. And that's what Jesus laid out in the first part of Matthew chapter 6. He says, when, when you're giving alms, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> don't let your right hand know what your left is doing. <laughs> don't, don't announce it. Uh, and, and in so doing, you're seeking to give glory to God, not to yourself. And that's where you, you store up treasure in heaven. When you, when you go in, when you pray, you're, are you supposed to go to the street corner <laughs> uh, and pray loudly with, with hands and up and you know wanting to be seen no if, if you do that you have the extent of your reward it's right there on the earth it's the praise of men uh, but you don't glorify god and the same thing uh, with fasting uh, as he says in uh, matthew six sixteen, uh, of just this reality of developing a mindset to glorify god rather than satisfy your own desires and your own uh, self uh, will help in beginning to store up treasures in heaven rather than uh, on earth Nothing here on earth can satisfy you as God can. There is no earthly treasure that can compare to the satisfaction and joy that comes with receiving future rewards in heaven. <clears throat> and as disciples of Christ, we, we have to be mindful of our, of our attitude towards earthly goods. Uh, we have to, uh, to 
focus upon not storing up for ourselves, I guess creating bigger and bigger barns as we read in Luke uh, in that parable. But uh, now, now does this mean that it, it is wrong to have any possessions? Is this is uh, are, is Jesus calling for a poverty gospel here, so to speak? If you have anything, uh, then, then you're not following after Christ. And I don't think that's what he's saying. But and as we'll see in this passage, I think the bigger issue here is uh, idolatry. It's it's what matters most to you in your heart. Uh, and there's a way for even those who have much in this life to use it for the glory of God and to not hold it tightly, but to hold it loosely with open hands. Uh, I think that's what Jesus is calling for here. Uh, and to those who have much, there's much to be expected of them. There's a greater responsibility uh, that comes along with having possessions, which, uh, and again, in the reality of things, everybody here is rich because if you look across the world, uh, I don't know what percentage of the population in the world lives on less than a dollar a day or less than two dollars a day, which is amazing to think about. And you're like, man, if, if I need food, I just go to I just go to my, my kitchen, you know, and once a week I go and get food at, at Trader Joe's. Uh, but other people, their their entire life centers around what am I going to eat? What's my next meal? Uh, and so in that sense, we are all extremely rich and have a great responsibility before the Lord. So Jesus gives his disciples a clear prohibition in this verse. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And in the next verse, he commands the opposite, which brings up the second reason we're to pursue heavenly treasure. So number one, your earthly treasure is perishable. Secondly, your heavenly treasure is imperishable. Let's look at verse 20. It says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So earth, earthly treasure will be destroyed or stolen, but heavenly treasure uh, is safe and secure from destruction, from theft. Uh, and the command to store up treasure in heaven rather than uh, on earth is it, one that's full of wisdom uh, it's, uh, and love. Jesus is commanding his disciples to pursue what is best. And that's uh, every time God gives us a command in Scripture, we also have to realize that that is what is best. Even though it seems like that's not what I want, but it ultimately is what is best for us. Uh, and in commanding this of his disciples, he's... Uh, encouraging them to pursue what will last for eternity. Uh, and it, it's interesting here, that's kind of a, a play on words in the Greek. Jesus is literally saying, treasure up for yourselves, treasure in heaven. Uh, uh, this is what we are called uh, to do. But, but what does that look like? How do I lay up rewards in heaven that, that don't necessarily uh, exist here on the earth? Well, uh, I'm glad you asked. If you look at 1 Timothy uh, 6, verses 17 through 19, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and be ready to share. And then uh, later on in Matthew 25, uh, verses 31 through 46, we, we see this, this parable in which Jesus explains that those who gave food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, hospitality to the stranger, clothing to the naked, and, and visited the sick and those in prison, those were the ones who had done his will and those were the ones who would enter into his kingdom. That's what it looks like to, to store up treasure in heaven. Again, you are mo- more focused upon uh, the glory of God rather than just appeasing your own flesh. And many will be condemned on the day of judgment because they did not use their earthly possessions to do good for others. Rather, they chose to store up for themselves treasures on earth, wealth that did, they did not need and could not use, rather than using that to bless others that were in need. 
And how foolish is this when, when they cannot even guarantee the safety of that wealth, right? Uh, to, to store up what, what can be easily taken. And, and it's amazing what lengths man will go to as we attempt to secure our money here on the earth, right? Uh, take, for instance, uh, Fort Knox uh, in Kentucky, right? In order to secure earthly treasure, our government has uh, uh, created Fort Knox and uh, says if a bank robber w- was somehow able to get through the solid granite wall perimeter and past the squadrons of machine gun wielding guards and armed military. I got this off of a website, so if it's funny, it's not me. Uh, the theme would still have to contend, or the thief would still have to contend with a 22-ton vault door that, uh, and that 22-ton blast door is held shut by a lock so intricate that it requires a 10-person team to unlock. Is it really any wonder that Fort Knox has never even had a published robbery attempt? Okay. Uh, secondly, there's the, the New York Federal Reserve. So deep below the streets of Manhattan sits a vault so impenetrable that it's entrusted with more U.S. gold bullion than the famous Fort Knox. Uh, security is so tight that men aren't allowed to enter the vault. Pallets are moved around by a team of robots. The bank's security systems are so trusted that even foreign governments use it for gold storage. And as if that wasn't enough, a Jason Bourne-level protection force watched the perimeter. Their shooting ranges score, shooting range scores are so good, they're better than marksmen. And then uh, the Bank of England, if Britain's prime minister had a secret, he would want to keep it here. Uh, more than 46, uh, or 4,600 tons of gold are safeguarded in what, the UK's, uh, what is the UK's largest gold vault, a figure that's second only to the Federal Reserve vault mentioned above. The vault uh, walls are bomb-proof and so sturdy that bank staff use them for protection during World War II air raids. And when the vault doors do need to be opened, they can only be accessed by an elaborate system consisting of voice recognition, three-foot keys, and other unpublished security measures. And yet all of those security measures don't make uh, your earthly treasure as secure as heavenly treasure. Uh, all of those measures, they, someone can still uh, come in and take uh, what, you've, what you've put there. Uh, but in heaven, uh, moth can't destroy, locusts can't destroy, thieves can't break in and steal, because who is the guarantor of your heavenly treasure? Yeah, Christ. Uh, it's, it's no, there's no human authority who is able to guarantee it in that degree. So in what ways are you storing up treasures in heaven instead of treasures on earth? Do you see everything that you're given in this life, not as possessions that belong to you, but as something that has been entrusted to you to bring glory to God? I remember reading a book by Paul Tripp who also pointed out not only are our earthly kind of physical, tangible possessions given to us and entrusted to us as a stewardship, but also our relationships, uh, which was something I had never thought about. Of Hey, how do I use my relationships? We also have a tendency of using relationships in what way? To, to benefit me, to, to accomplish my goals, to accomplish what I want. But the reality is that is something that has been given to me as a stewardship and I must use that even for the glory of God as well. So additionally, do you contemplate how you can use your own time, money, and possessions for the good of others and the glory of God? Or do you spend uh, them on your own pleasures in the pursuit of additional earthly treasures? Do you see every day as bringing you closer to your heavenly home? One, one great preacher, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, said it this way. He says, This is the way in which we can lay up treasures in heaven. 
it all comes back to the question of how I view myself and how I view my life in this world. Do I tell myself every day I live that this is but another milestone I am passing, never to go back, never to come again? I am pitching my tent a day's march nearer home. That is the great principle of which I must constantly remind myself, that I am a child of the Father, placed here for His purpose, not for myself. I did not choose to come. I have not brought myself here. There is a purpose in it all. God has given me this great privilege of living in this world, and He has... And if he has endued me with any gifts, I have to realize that although in one sense all these things are mine, ultimately, as Paul shows at the end of 1 Corinthians 3, they are God's. Therefore, regarding myself as one who has this great privilege of being a caretaker for God, a custodian and a steward, I do not cling to these things. They do not become the center of my life and existence. I do not live for them or dwell upon them constantly in my mind. They do not absorb my life. On the contrary, I hold them loosely. I am in a state of blessed detachment from them. I am not governed by them, rather do I govern them. And as I do this, I am steadily securing and safely laying up for myself treasures in heaven. And may that be our mindset. May, may we obey Christ's command to, to not store up treasure here on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. Earthly treasure shall perish, but treasure in heaven is imperishable. Uh, which then leads us to our, th- our third uh, reason to prioritize heavenly treasure, which is your heart follows your treasure. We see this in verse 21. Well, let's look back there. Jesus says it simply, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, simple principle. It, it explains uh, something in the present and then something that will happen in the future. Right? Where, you, where your treasure is in the present your heart will be there in the future. Uh, and, and it's really uh, really simple in that way. We've talked about treasure already and, and defined what it could be uh, of, uh, you know, it, it could be uh, good grades, athletic accomplishment, the praise of men. It could be a, a physical, tangible, uh, good thing in this life. Uh, but the reality of those, wherever your treasure is, your heart will follow after that. Uh, and your heart points to your inner person. That and it's inseparable from the idea of worship. In Deuteronomy six five, uh, the great Shema, uh, Moses commanded Israel. He says, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might." Uh, and in addition, they were to teach that to their children. That's uh, that follows immediately after that. But but the point Jesus is making here is this: that you will have a naturally increasing affection for. Uh, those possessions or money that you believe are highly valuable. Whatever you assign value to, you will begin to pursue that thing. So take, for instance, if, if somebody gave you 500 uh, uh, shares of Apple stock, okay, uh, you would begin to do what? Follow it. Yeah, you would begin to, to follow after, okay, let me see how much it's worth today. And why would you do that? Because you have investment there. Uh, and, and you want to see, hey, if it does well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make money. If it does poorly, I'm going to lose money. Uh, you begin to pay attention to what you have invested your money in or what you have uh, value in. So uh, using that same concept, if you value the world's approval, your heart will begin to worship anything that will bring the approval of the world. If you say, this is what is most valuable, your heart will begin to pursue all of those things that will get you what you want. If you, if you value athletic achievement, that was a big thing for me. 
you will begin to worship and pursue anything that will help you to achieve your athletic goals. Now, I mean, you, you spend uh, most of your waking hours, you know, thinking about sports or preparing to play sports. That was the life of a college athlete, right? You're, you're, you're trying to eat healthy sometimes. Uh, you're working out. You're going to class so you don't get in trouble with your coach, not to actually learn. Uh, everything is focused upon what you are deeming to be most valuable. And the same thing could be said not just of athletic achievement, but of advancement in your career, the success of your children, uh, the look of your home. Now, anything that you value can become an idol and your your heart will begin to follow after that. So, and, and ultimately, why is it that we begin to pursue those things? Why is it we, we assign value to something like career accomplishment or athletic achievement? It's because we believe that they will satisfy us. We believe that that will make us happy. Hey, if I have that, it's kind of that grass is always greener syndrome. Now, that next stage in life, I'll be, I'll be, everything will be perfect and better and greater, and that's when I'll be satisfied and happy. But then the reality is, you get there, and what happens? <laughs> yeah, you, you begin to look at the next stage. Oh, uh, you know, I'll begin to look here. I'll begin to do this. And, and that's where I always I would tell that to the youth students. And the youth students have such this a mindset of, as soon as I'm done with high school, I begin, I begin life, and then I'll be happy. Everything will be exactly as I, as I want it to be. Right, and then uh, when they're in college, what mindset do they get? Yeah, uh, as soon as I'm out in the real world, as soon as I'm done with school, uh, everything will be great and perfect, exactly as I want it to be. And then, uh, and you can just go from there. Every successive step, you begin to look and see, hey, the next season of life is what's going to satisfy me. It's like, no, it's not, uh, because again, going back to your desires are always increasing. Uh, we we have become insatiable uh, consumers. Uh, and what makes us happy uh, will ultimately be uh, what we worship uh, and what we pursue in this life. Another famous example would be uh, in Moby Dick, Captain Ahab. Uh, he he spent his time, uh, money, and, and resources to find this whale because he wanted to get revenge. He thought revenge would satisfy him uh, because he had lost his leg. And so ultimately we see what he is, is worshiping as what uh, he is pursuing. Whatever you, you value and worship, you will begin to pursue with your time, energy, and money. And Tim Keller, I love the way that he, he said this, and it just pierces my own heart. He said, the things you daydream about in your spare time are ultimately the things you serve. So what is it that you daydream about in your spare time? What do you value most in this life? Uh, what are you most wanting to pursue and invest in? And if you're willing to honestly identify these, then Jesus would say, that is where your heart is also. Say, hey, that, that's what, I, that's what I, I daydream about. That's where your heart is. But as followers and disciples of Christ, we must see him as our most valuable pursuit, as that is the only way for our heart to follow. Right? If, we're, if you're tracking on this concept of, okay, well, I, I will pursue what I see as valuable, and that's where my heart will follow. So then, if what do we need? To, how do we need to view Jesus? We need to see Jesus as what is most valuable. We need to see and understand who He is and what He has done, and treasure up those things. If you value the salvation that is offered to you in Christ, you will naturally worship Him as well. But if you, if you, if you look and, and understand, okay, Jesus did that, and He died on the cross, yeah, yeah, and you don't value that, what's going to happen? You're never going to worship him. You're never going to treasure him. Uh, you're going to uh, 
to create a, a different treasure, a different path that you're going to, to follow down. If you don't treasure Christ, you will never genuinely worship Him. But if you see the infinite value of a relationship with God and bringing glory to Him rather than yourself, you will begin to worship and pursue Him above all else. You will spend your time, energy, and money seeking to glorify Him. That was what the Apostle Paul echoed in, in Philippians 3, 7, and 8. Well, again, one of the most humbling passages in Scripture. Paul says, but whatever things were gained to me, and, and this was coming from a man who had reached the pinnacle of Jewish society. He was uh, like the Pharisee uh, of Pharisees, as he would say. He, he, he had reached the top in Jewish society. And he says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, more than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So, Do you genuinely value what Christ has done for you? Are you genuinely thankful that he lived a perfect life, died an unjust death on the cross, so that you could be forgiven uh, and you could have a hope of eternal life? Do you... Do you genuinely value that? that? That's something to spend time thinking about. Uh, and that kind of uh, just Ryan did such a good job with uh, communion this morning. It hit perfectly what I was going to say. I was like, he's, he's saying everything before I say it. And, and that's just that reality of, of, of taking that time to reflect of, of am I treasuring Christ? Uh, am I truly seeing him as what is most valuable or am I pursuing something else? And then you have to deal with that. It's, it's not worth it to say, hey, I, I'm not pursuing Christ. This is what I'm pursuing and is what is most valuable to me. You now have to deal with that. You have to confess and forsake and, and turn to Christ and ask him to forgive you. Say, Lord, I, I've been pursuing something that, that's not as worthwhile as you are. Help me to, to see your value, your worth, that I might pursue you with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. This this third reason that we've talked about right here is kind of the hinge point of our discussion because the principle seen here has far-reaching implications and I, we could spend so much more time just on this verse alone. Uh, but but let's let's continue moving forward to to the fourth reason we should prioritize heavenly treasure, uh, which is that your your perspective determines your condition. And, and these are uh, some of the, uh, I guess, more confusing verses in the New Testament. Uh, at least it was to me for a long time. Verses 22 and 23, Jesus says, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So Jesus is, is speaking metaphorically here and he's using objects in the real world to explain a spiritual truth to his disciples. So in this context, the eye speaks of your, of your perspective and your ability to determine what is valuable and what's not. And what he's saying, if your eye is healthy, literally, uh, if your eye is single, uh, then you will be able to, to see things clearly. And as a result, you'll, you'll have the correct valuation of things in this life. And ultimately, you'll pursue heavenly treasure over earthly treasure because you are rightly seeing and perceiving things. But if you have a bad eye, or literally in the Greek, an evil eye, your perspective is going to be skewed. 
Uh, it's going to be wrong. You're not going to be able to assign the right types of values to things. And as a result, your entire body will be uh, darkness and wickedness. With an evil eye, you will value earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. Your greed for wealth will permeate and contaminate your entire life and body. Uh, Proverbs 28.22 says, A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know what will come upon that that want will come upon him and want is kind of the idea of poverty if if you pursue uh you know wealth with an evil eye poverty will come uh then Jesus gives this this final summary statement that highlights the devastation that can come from a wrong perspective and it, it's at the end of of verse 23 he says if then the light in you is darkness how great is the darkness if you're pursuing worthless things, the treasure of this world, uh, and you believe that those are what is best, then you're lost. That's what Jesus is saying. If, you're, if your perspective is so skewed that you, that you think the things of this life and this earth are what will truly satisfy you and bring you the most pleasure, there is, uh, you, you are lost uh, and, and completely blinded. Now, if you pursue darkness and believe that it is light, how great is your darkness? Right? That's what he's saying. Blindness and an evil eye will cause you to pursue wealth, believing that it will give you happiness, security, and satisfaction in this life, when the reality is it will only bring about death. That's what Scripture has to say. And such a poor perspective is similar to, to being lost at sea on a life raft. Hey, you're, you're low on water, so you begin to think through your options. Uh, and, and your evil eye, which has clouded your vision and your perspective, convinces you uh, that you're not short on water. You're surrounded by water. Look at all of this water there is to drink. And as you begin to, to thirstily drink up salt water, uh, believing that it will satisfy the dryness of your mouth, you're actually sentencing yourself to death on that lifeboat because uh, the salt from the water will cause you to be ever thirstier, causing you to drink even more. More and more and more culminating in your eventual death. All because you had a wrong perspective on what you needed to be pursuing. You thought that salt water was good and that it would satisfy your thirst, but it ultimately led to your death. A wrong perspective on wealth will lead you to a similar death. If your perspective is wrong, your condition is lost. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you believe that wrong is right and right is wrong, there is no hope. If you believe that worthless treasures, earthly treasures should be your pursuit, then your eye is blind and the darkness within you is so great that even darkness appears to be light. Greed corrupts to the uttermost and if you pursue it, it will be the death of you. So if this great danger comes from the wrong perspective, how do I, how do I figure out the right perspective, right? Because if this is such a great danger of having the wrong perspective, I need to understand how to test, test my eyesight. And I would say that scripture is the eye chart that judges your spiritual eyesight. Now, it's that, that chart that we need to look at and see, okay, am I seeing things clearly? Uh, am I rightly valuing uh, truth? Am I rightly valuing the things of this life? Do I see them uh, as fleeting and passing away? Uh, or do I see them as what is most valuable? And, and this should drive us to, to Scripture. This should drive us to, to our knees in prayer, asking God to, to change our hearts, to grant us clear understanding and perspective regarding what we are pursuing. 
And we should then be willing to forsake anything and everything that's not drawing us nearer to Christ and helping us lay up heavenly treasure in the next life. And unwillingness to part ways with earthly treasure uh, and earthly pursuits will ultimately bring our destruction as well. To, to say, hey, I, I see this, but I'm unwilling to part from it. You're, you would be just like the rich young ruler, right? Who comes and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, hey, just forsake everything, sell everything, and then just come follow me. What did he see as most valuable? His, his things. I, I can't follow Christ. I would be giving all of this up. But the reality is, no, he, he had no perspective. And, and you see that the light was, that was in him was darkness. And how great was that darkness? Your perspective determines your condition. And clear biblical eyesight will help you to pursue heavenly treasure. While darkened evil vision or perspective will cause you to blindly value and pursue things here on the earth. Now, that's the fourth of our reasons to prioritize heavenly treasure. And, and the, the fifth one would be that your affection reveals your master. We see that in verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, and this, this verse begins and ends with two similar statements. Uh, the first shows the impossibility of faithfully serving two masters. No one can serve two masters. Uh, and the second and closing statement identifies who those two masters are uh, that you cannot serve at the same time. And that would be God and mammon, if you're in the King James, but or wealth. Uh, this concept of you, you can't uh, pursue and serve God and money. And in between those two statements, Jesus explains why this principle is true. Uh, and it's just an, a natural thing of if you, uh, if you love uh, one thing, you love something else less. We see this, uh, we just read through Genesis. Uh, imagine if you're in Jacob's place. Okay? Uh, Jacob has, uh, what, four wives? Uh, so two, two wives, you know, he was deceived, and then two other uh, maidservants that his wives gave to him. Uh, and, and you see, imagine being in his place. As soon as he tries to make one wife happy, what's going to happen? <laughs> the, all of the, you have three who are unhappy. Uh, and and that's, this is the reality of this. The, the slave-master relationship is mutually exclusive, just like the, the husband-wife relationship is intended to be. Now, so you can't serve God and pursue money, and, and you can't pursue money and serve God. Uh, that, that, this is what Jesus is explaining here. Uh, and this is what Jesus demands of his disciples. We must love God and be entirely devoted to him or else we are hating him and despising him as we instead pursue fame, fortune, accolades, and accomplishments, prizes, or possessions. And again, this is, this is humbling to my own soul because there's so many things that, that I can begin to pursue and become focused on and begin to, to daydream about and uh, and, and none of it can satisfy me as Christ can. In light of this truth that we can't serve two masters, all of us stand condemned. Right? All of us. Uh, we've all worshipped the creation rather than the creator. We've, we're all deserving of death and judgment. That's why we all so desperately need Christ and the forgiveness that he offers. Because all those who place their faith and trust in Him, all those who see Christ as what is most valuable, will be saved. That's what it means to, to worship Him and to trust in Him. You're trusting that Jesus is your all in all. That He is the one who has died for you, who lived the perfect life for you, 
who, who resurrected from the grave and ascended into heaven, and he is the one that you should be pursuing. And the pursuit of anything else is going to be empty and void and not satisfying. And it ultimately will bring about death. As uh, <coughs> I, I, I've never seen a, a greater visualization on on earth uh, of what what this could look like. We, we, earlier, we talked about Solomon. Solomon, you know, understood and began to realize the emptiness uh, of the, his earthly pursuits that they would never satisfy him. Well, there, there's a man who lived in uh, the 18th and or 19th and 20th centuries uh, named William Randolph Hearst. You may have heard of him. He he was born in 1863 and died in 1951. And and as he was growing up, his family had some wealth because his father had found silver near Virginia City, Nevada, which is right up near uh, Reno, I believe. Uh, and that was in 1859. So in, in 1885, he enrolled at Harvard College, but he was expelled for many rebellious antics, which included sponsoring massive beer parties in Harvard Square. Uh, two years later, uh, he began to oversee the operations of the San Francisco Examiner. And over time, he began to purchase additional newspapers, and he grew in wealth, power, and fame throughout the United States. In the age before television and radio, newspapers were the most influential form of media in the country. And William Randolph Hearst became one of the most powerful men in the country because of his newspaper empire. He eventually entered into politics, serving in the House of Representatives from 1903 to 1907, in 1903, he also married a woman named Millicent uh, Wilson, who bore him five sons, yet 16 years into their marriage, he began an affair with a popular film actress named Marion Davies. And he lived openly with her in California while his, life, his wife lived uh, in New York. Uh, so between 1919 and 1947, Hearst worked on what is now his lasting legacy known as Hearst Castle. Uh, beyond enormous mansion estate on the hillside near San Simeon. Uh, literally, as you're driving along Highway 1, you can see it up on the hill. Uh, and you can see, I mean, it looks like a, a castle and a fortress all rolled into one. It has these huge palm trees, again, that you can see from probably you know 10 to 15 miles away. Uh, this, this estate, uh, this or the castle, features 56 bedrooms, 61 bathrooms, 19 sitting rooms, 127 acres, of gardens, he used to have a zoo. We're, we're driving along, and we see a zebra, and we're like, "What is a zebra doing right here?" And it's it's literally, they just let the zoo animal like some of them were shipped off, but the zebras stayed there. So there's zebras there, uh, there in Central California that you can see because of uh, his. He had the world's largest private zoo. He has outdoor swimming pools, swimming pools, indoor swimming pools, tennis courts, a movie theater, an airfield. And every room in the estate is ornately decorated with this fine European and American art. Literally, they were saying like the ceilings were flown in from Paris and all of it. It's amazing to see. I've always wanted to, to go there. And Libby and I uh, went uh, about two years ago. Uh, and, it, and it was amazing to see that this place, he, at the height of his, uh, I guess, newspaper empire, he was worth about $30 billion in today's currency. Uh, and at the end of his life, all of his possessions were handed down to his children. But what was interesting is his children couldn't afford to maintain the estate. They couldn't afford it. So everything that he had worked so hard for, uh, everything that he ha- had valued and worked so hard, he, he, he gave to his children, but they couldn't even, it's like, we can't do anything with this. 
uh, and ultimately now they, his children had to, to donate it to to the state uh, to become a, a museum because they just couldn't afford it. Uh, which is again this this remarkable uh, everything that you have could be lost in the next generation, which is a sobering reality. Ecclesiastes talks about that. You don't know uh, what your kids will do with it. You're like, oh, I want them to. I, I want to control what they do with it. But there, there's a reality of everything that you work so hard for, even to give to your children, could be lost by them uh, so easily. And that's what Ecclesiastes proclaims. That's what Jesus proclaims here. Uh, and I just in going to Hearst Castle. It was amazing to see, but it was also heartbreaking uh, to see everything that this man had had invested. And again, you think of, that was 20, uh, 28 years of his life, you know, from 1919 to 1947. 28 years he spent on that. I mean, and that just, that's not something that just like pops into existence. That, that's a lot of time and energy. Um, and you just see all of these things that he was pursuing to make him happy, and yet it just brought devastation to his life and ultimately is completely empty. Uh, and so I want to just close by asking, what, what legacy do you want to leave? Uh, what, uh, what do you want to leave to your children and grandchildren? And ultimately, what, what do you want to hear from Christ when you stand before him uh, when your life is over? Uh, of, of, do you want to say, hey, I stored up all of this treasure in heaven? And again, I know it's kind of cliche and it's said often, but you never see a U-Haul, you know, following behind a hearse. You, you, you never see someone, you know, packing things away uh, to their grave. Uh, you, you don't get to take any of that with you. Uh, what did you come into this world with? Nothing. nothing. That's exactly what you'll leave with. Nothing, and you'll stand before God with nothing. Uh, and you will have to give an account for how you used uh, your earthly treasure uh, and whether or not you stored up heavenly treasure. What, uh, what what I'd like to do now is kind of similar to what we did last week. I'll, I'll close in prayer, and then we'll just have a, a brief uh, kind of interlude for you guys to, to pray in your own hearts uh, and kind of reflect and respond uh, privately uh, to what uh, you've heard this morning. And then... Uh, uh, we'll sing one one more song before we go, but let's uh, let's just go to the Lord uh, in prayer now. Father God, you are the creator and owner of everything. Lord, you are not impressed by earthly wealth because you are the one who created everything in existence. Lord, I we are so indebted to you not only for our lives but for everything that has been entrusted to us. And I pray that you that you would help our hearts to value Christ most supremely in this life. I pray that you would help us to, to loosely hold our earthly possessions, to loosely hold those things uh, that we can only get in this life, such as man's praise or athletic accomplishment, advancement in our careers. Lord, may we, may we hold those things loosely but cling tightly to Christ. May we pursue Him. May we pursue His glory. And in so doing, may we store up treasures in heaven rather than treasures here on the earth. Lord, show us all of the ways that we need to grow in these areas. Show us uh, those things and objects that have uh, abducted our affections, that have stolen them away from You. And Lord, help us to release those things back to You uh, so that we might be able to worship You in spirit and in truth. We ask this in Jesus' name.